Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all here again this morning. I'm so thankful to be worshiping again with you here today. I got to tell you, uh, you know what else I'm thankful for? Furnaces that work. Man, and snow plows. And I'm thankful for the people who wake up early in the morning to run the snow plows so that we can come to church. Uh, I'm just like, wow, a lot to be thankful for today as we see the snow falling. So today we are in a new series, as Pastor Nate told us, we are in the book of Ephesians, all right? So it's going to be a five-week, uh, yes, five-week series as we study this book together. And I'm excited to see what God's going to teach us as we work our way through this book. Before we dive into chapter one, I want us just to have some background information so that we can put the context of what we're going to learn alongside this book as we work our way through it. So just for a minute or two, uh, just, to, just to cover some of the basics about the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote this letter uh, to the Ephesians, and he wrote it from a Roman prison cell, and he wrote it right around 60, 61 A.D. So it was about 30 years or so after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ back to heaven. Um, before Paul wrote this letter, he actually spent between two and three years with the Ephesians in the city of Ephesus. And then he wrote this letter probably about three years after he left that city. All right, so that kind of helps us get a little context. He had a relationship with these people. The fact that he knew these people, but he doesn't address any of them by name, nor does he talk about any of the issues that were going on at the church like he does some of his other letters. That makes us think that this, that this letter was probably meant for like circulation. It probably wasn't meant just for the church at Ephesus. He probably wanted this letter to go to some of the other churches around the area also. This letter is packed full of theology. I mean, the first three chapters is all about theology. The last three chapters is about the way we live out that theology in our life every day. It is a very cool book. When you want to think about theological terms and things like that, I mean, this book has got a lot of it in there. Um, the overarching theme to this book is God desiring his family to grow. So it's, so it's God wanting his family to include all races, nationality, languages, people groups, and about how they are united through Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the book. We're going to get a little more deep into that in just a few minutes as we go into, into Ephesians chapter 1. Something else we're going to notice as we work our way through this book, that six times in this book, Paul mentions the word mystery. What he means by mystery is that these 
these things he's talking about, these mysteries, they were once hidden from our understanding. But God has revealed them to us. But God hasn't revealed them to everybody. God has revealed these mysteries only to his followers, those who know Jesus Christ. That's why Paul talks about them as mysteries. So over the next five weeks as we go through these chapters, we're going to look at these different mysteries. It's going to be like a puzzle. And each mystery is a different puzzle that helps us understand the family of God. It's really fascinating. Okay, so let's dive into the first chapter in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, all right? So I want you to follow along with me as I read. I am not going to get into uh, verses 15 through 23, the rest of chapter 1 today, just because I'm short on time. We're already going to be here for about the next hour and a half. So I don't have time to do it all. I'm just teasing. All right. Follow along, please. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 14. I'm reading from the NIV. New International Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right, that's the first 15 verses. I want us to go back up to verses 9 and 10, actually the last half of verse 8, through the end of verse 10. Because this is the main point in this chapter. This is like the hub, all right? So, so all of Paul's other thoughts are like spokes that go off this hub. So let's go back up there. Second half of verse 8, it says, it says, With all wisdom and understanding, 
he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what is the mystery of his will? Well, it tells us there, that last statement, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul is telling us God's will for his creation is for his family to grow, to include all people groups, all nations, nationalities, tongues, and to be unified under Christ. And it says all things. So I believe that means the people, the plant life, the animals. It says in heaven also, right? So if whether he's talking about the stars of the universe or maybe he's talking about angels, we don't really know for sure. But I believe that God wants to unify all creation through Jesus Christ. There's a heavy emphasis in this chapter, especially on his people, his crowning creation to be unified through Jesus Christ. Paul displays this very beautifully as he writes this letter. Because I'm going to show you something. It's, it is really cool. If you go to verse 11, and we're going to read through 14 again. But there's some pronouns in here that are very important for us to notice. Paul uses the word we. So when he says the word we, he's talking about Jews because he is a Jew. Then he also uses the word you. And when he says you, he's talking about the Gentiles because that's who he's writing to. So I'm going to read these verses again. As I read them again, I'm going to insert those thoughts about Jew and Gentile. It says this. In him we, the Jews, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order... That we, the Jews, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, the Gentiles, also were included in Christ when you, the Gentiles, heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you, the Gentiles, believed, you, the Gentiles, were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in the redemption of those who are God's possession. That is beautiful. You see how even Paul, as he's making this point, he like illustrates it in his writing. Because he's got this clear distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He says, we, 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 the Jews. And he says, you, 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 the Gentiles. And then when he brings it all together, after he, men after he mentions the gospel of salvation, he says, who, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, it is now our, it is now us, it is now the family of God through Jesus Christ. And the Jews in this day, most of them, they, they hated the Gentiles. They were a lesser class of human being. After all, the Jews 
were taught that God's family was going to consist of the Jews. God even brought the Messiah into the world through the Jews. His covenants were most of the time with Jews. They were taught the Jews will comprise God's family. And Paul, writing this letter to the Gentiles, says, Our, our salvation, it is our family, it is God's family consisting of all of us, Jew and Gentile. That, friends, is everybody. We all fall into one of those classifications. We are either a Jew or a Gentile. And Paul is saying the family of God is going to consist of all people who come to him through Jesus Christ. And that's important because the letter of Ephesians in the Bible does not teach us universalism. It does not say you believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe. They're going to believe what they want to believe. And all together, we will meet in heaven someday together. No, that is not taught in Ephesians. It clearly says in Christ, submitting to his godhood, his lordship, his commands, and accepting his penalty on the cross for our death for, and for like our salvation through his death and resurrection. It is through Christ, that unity through Christ when we submit to that. And as people do that, God's family grows and grows and grows and grows. For the next few minutes, I want us to look at three very important things about God's family that we see in Ephesians chapter 1. All right. First point I want to make today is a point we find in Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 and in Ephesians 1 verse 11. And it is God brings us into his family. God builds his family. We don't build his family. God builds his family. There's some verses I want us to read. Verses 4 and 5, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Then in verse 11 it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Friends, the last thing I want to do is stand up here, and, and I'm not the guy to like start defending um, uh, predestination or election and free will and that's really not my thing. I personally don't believe that we're going to solve this tension between God's divine sovereignty and, and our human responsibility this side of heaven. All right. It's a great discussion, uh, important words. Theologians down through the centuries have talked about it. Fantastic. Important to think about, important to know, consider. But the point I want to make today in these verses is very clear in these verses, I believe. God, God calls us. He builds his church. He, he reached out into a sinful world, into our sinful hearts, and pulled us into his family. Your role as far as your responsibility in that, you can think about that, pray about that, consider that thought. But without a doubt, I believe the Bible teaches us we are completely lost, completely lost, unable, unable to even consider the goodness of God. If God did not first move towards us, 
reach into our hearts and pull us to him. He builds his family. There's a verse, Luke 19.10. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came. He, he sought us out. He, he pulls us into his family. Friends, it's like us being in this huge dark room. We can't see past the end of our nose, right? Complete blackness. Somewhere in this enormous room is a door that leads out to the room. But we cannot find it because we are lost in our sinfulness. God, in his goodness, sends the light of the world, his son Jesus Christ, and comes into our life and turns on the light so that we can leave and experience his salvation and his goodness in our life. He builds the church. He moves towards us and pulls us to him. That's the first point I want to make. God brings us into his family. Let's go on to point number two. It's found in, in three verses. And these three verses all, all share almost the exact same words. It's very interesting. Anytime in the Bible where we see that, right, the same phrase, the same word mentioned within the same paragraph or same chapter, it's got to be important. Ephesians 1.6 to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is the purpose of our relationship with God? What why has he called us and placed us in his family? To give him glory. To give him glory. That is our purpose. Does he love us? Absolutely. Does he love us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross? Absolutely. Does he give us good gifts and discernment and comfort and conviction and guidance and help and strength and victory? Absolutely. Those are good gifts from a good God. But why did he make us? To give him glory. That is our purpose. That's why he created us. Someday, you and I will be in heaven. For those of us who are Christ followers, and be free from our sinful flesh and our sinful world. And be able to give him perfect glory. Currently, we as a family of God still, still honor him by giving him glory. Uh, last year, my daughter decided that she wanted a pet. So, my wife and I, we aren't really pet people. And that's understating it, all right? Uh, we're like, pets take time and money and energy. And I have enough things in my life that are asking for my time and my money and my energy already. Why would I sign up for something else? But she wanted a pet, and she knew a dog just wasn't going to happen. And so she started thinking, she goes, what kind of pet can I get? And she decided that she wanted a bearded dragon. And so my wife and I were talking about bearded dragons. We thought, yeah, we could probably do a bearded dragon. I mean, how, how, 
how, how, how, you know, how hard can that be? That can't be too hard. So we decided for her birthday, we're going to take her down, and we went down to the pet store, got her a bearded dragon. She picked out a baby bearded dragon. Here's a picture of, this is a picture of Remington. This is her bearded dragon. Now, over the past several months, we've become kind of fond of, of, of our bearded dragon, Remington. And in a strange, reptile kind of way, she's actually kind of cute. <laughs> and over the past couple weeks, actually, I've been talking to Kayla. I'm like, Kayla, someday soon, we are going to take, we're going to take Remington out of her terrarium. Because she's got a very nice glass terrarium that she lives in. I said, Kayla, someday soon we're going to take her out of that terrarium. We're going to find a nice, big, open place for her to stretch her legs. And she's going to run around. And she's going to explore. And she's going to be everything that God created a bearded dragon to be. And she's going to love it, I'm sure. And I think about that and I think about us. We are in the confines of our sinful flesh, in a sinful world. But someday, someday God will take us to be with him in heaven, where we will be able to glorify him perfectly for all eternity. And it will not be mundane, and it will not be boring. It, we at that time will finally experience the fullness of being who he created us to be. It will be exciting. It will be fulfilling. It will be completely wonderful as we experience doing what God created us to do. And that's give him glory, perfect glory. And in the meantime, we are here in this world. And it's hard. Because even though we know as a family of God, our, our purpose, our life is to give him glory, we sometimes, we sometimes are tempted to become glory thieves. Glory thieves. Say you have a person here and God here and this person wants to give glory to God. Sometimes we are tempted by our sinfulness, to just gently step in the way. And some of the glory that is intended for God, we just kind of want to rub on us a little bit. Just kind of take a little bit of that glory away from God and soak up some of his glory. It's a glory thief. But we are very crafty with how we do it. We have become skilled in being glory thieves. Sometimes it's just a slight statement, just a, just a little remark. Maybe it sounds something like this if you talk to a friend. So I stopped by at the grocery store on my way home from the homeless shelter to pick up some groceries. Right? It's like, oh, look what I did today. I went to the homeless shelter, right? Great. Go to the homeless shelter. But for a moment, we can turn that into, look at me. Glorify me. 
we sometimes walk around with our tackle boxes full of glory lures. Glory lures. And man, we take our lure and we have become skilled. We have become skilled in where to throw our glory lures, the right time of day to throw our glory lures, the right location, the right method, the right time, place, whatever, in order to catch the biggest bite of glory that we possibly can. Glory thieves. And friends, after a while, we start to look like someone else that we know very well, the cookie monster. Go ahead and show this video. Very important to me. They mean a lot to me, but they mean much more to me. Tommy, Kawabunga! But instead of cookies, it's glory, isn't it? Give me the glory. Give me the glory. Glory, 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 glory. Give me more glory, more glory. I need glory. And we stuff in our face and our spirits and our souls full of glory. We want glory. We're, we can so easily become glory thieves. Glory thieves. How do we prevent it? How do we stop it? How do we not become glory thieves? It's by making sure that we develop our glory deflectors. That's what I call them, glory deflectors. What a glory deflector is, is a, it's a, just an attitude. And it's a very quick but important conversation with God that happens throughout our week. Perhaps someone comes up to you and they say, wow, Susie, if your name's Susie, obviously. Susie, you did such an amazing job singing that song in church yesterday. Wow. It really ministered to me. I mean, Susie, that song met me where I needed to be at just that moment. Thank you so much. Susie's response, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. And then Susie, quietly between her and God, just says, God, that's for you. God, that's for you. God, thank you for giving me a voice to be able to lead people in worship. Someone comes up to Tim. Tim, wow, I can't even tell you how much you blessed my family last month with that financial gift. I didn't know how we were going to get through it or whatever. And your, your gift to our family made such a big difference in our family. Thank you so much, Tim. Tim responds, Hey, thank you very much. You're welcome. I mean, praise the Lord, right? And then Tim says, God, that's for you. That's for you. Thank you for blessing me with the finances to be able to do that for somebody. Someone comes up to John. John, you are the best life group leader I have ever had. John says, well, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. And then John says, God, that's for you. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be a person who can teach your word to our life group. Someone comes up to Stephanie. Stephanie, wow, you are a fantastic softball coach. I mean, 
my daughter loves being on your team. She's learned so much about softball. Thank you for just helping her, making a difference in her life. Stephanie says, hey, you're welcome. Praise the Lord, right? And the Stephanie says, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be used to teach these girls about softball and life and allowing me to have influence. God, that praise belongs to you. Those are glory deflectors. That's what I call a glory deflector, right? It's deflecting the praise that comes on us and sending it to God. Let me ask you this morning. How's your glory deflector? Maybe some of your glory deflectors are uh, a little rusty, right? Maybe broken. Maybe some of your glory glory deflectors are well lubricated and being used regularly. Praise the Lord. I want us to challenge us today. As God's family created to give him glory, to not be a glory thief, to keep the glory and the praise fixed on him, to deflect the glory that sometimes comes our way and to put it back on our heavenly father. Point number two this morning. God is glorified through his family. Let's move on to the third and final point this morning. Follow along in verse 13 and 14. 13 and 14. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. My third point this morning is God guarantees each family member their place in his family. God guarantees each family member, their place in his family. We love guarantees, don't we? We do. We love guarantees. Whether we buy a product, whether we buy a ticket, or whether we sign a contract, we want a guarantee. We want to know that the other party is going to deliver on their promise. Give us a guarantee. We want a guarantee. About two weeks ago, my wife tells me, Dan, it's time we buy some new bed sheets. I thought, great, let's get some new bed sheets. I openly admit to everybody here and everyone online, I am a bed sheet snob. I demand a certain quality and softness out of my bed sheets. Because if I don't have it, it's a terrible night's sleep. I require a certain softness, and it's a lot of softness, out of my bed sheets. I just do. And so my wife tells me, Dan, there's no way I'm buying you bed sheets. You got to buy your own sheets. I'll sleep on whatever you buy. Okay. So I did some research. And I started looking around, doing some research. I actually went over to a friend's house. got their pillow covers, brought them home. And so that me and Leanne could have a, a touch test. I took those pillow covers, those pillow slips, I rubbed them on my face. 
I felt them and thought, does this pillowcase meet my standards? Is it going to be soft enough for me? And I thought, this is going to work. These, these sheets will work for me. So I get online. I find the place to buy the sheets I want. And I'm, I go online, and I'm about to purchase these sheets. And, it's, and right there on the website, 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Bingo. That's what I needed to see, right? So then I started looking at it all, and I started thinking, okay, what kind of satisfaction guarantee? Am I satisfied with how fast it arrived? Am I satisfied with the packaging? Am I satisfied with the look? Am I satisfied with the feel? Or am I satisfied with how I sleep in these sheets? So I went back online, and I texted them, right, with this, uh, you know, like with the messaging there. I'm talking to their sales rep, and I type in there, in our conversation, just to be clear, if I receive these sheets, open them up, sleep in them, and do not like them, I can return them for a full refund, question mark, send. She replies, yes, within 30 days. I thought, perfect, I'm buying these sheets because I can certainly try them out within 30 days. But I needed to know, will they, will they deliver on their promise? Is the guarantee good? We like guarantees. Do you see the guarantee in this verse? I'm going to read it again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. That is fantastic news. How can you read that verse and not get excited? That is terrific. God is telling us as his family, as his children, Dan, when you come to me and place your faith in me, through the, my son, Jesus Christ, in his death or resurrection, and you humble yourself before him and make him your Savior and your Lord, my Holy Spirit is stamped on you, Dan. You are guaranteed to come to heaven with me forever as part of my family. Guaranteed. That's awesome. Friends, if you are here today or listening online, and you struggle with that fact. And you live in this fear of losing your salvation. Read this verse. Know this verse. Memorize this verse. Study this verse. Because it is full of truth and hope that God put in his Bible for us to know and understand. What did a seal do back in the Old Testament days? There's several different uses back when a person would use a seal. One of them was King Darius. When Daniel was in the lion's den, King Darius went and he sealed that stone, making sure that no one removed that stone. He, that stone was secure. King Darius made the stone secure with his seal. Jeremiah bought a plot of land. 
After he bought that plot of land, he took his seal and he marked it saying, I own that land. Queen Esther's king, he sent out this edict and he sealed it with his ring. And he's saying, I'm authority. I have the authority to declare this over this land. A seal represents security. A seal represents ownership. A seal represents authority. And when God places his seal on our life through his Holy Spirit, he is saying, you are secure. You are owned by me. And I have authority over your life. And it's fantastic. And if you are here today and you struggle with that, first off, you are not experiencing the peace and joy that God wants you to have in your life. Secondly, you are, you are not going into the deep worship of your Lord and Savior that he wants you to experience. And third, you cannot be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. How can you be an effective witness if you're worried about your own salvation? It's hard to tell others about Jesus if you aren't even sure that, that, that he's living in you. Know this verse and take great comfort in this verse. And there's another verse that I want us to read. It's the words of Jesus. It is John chapter 10, verse 27 and 30. Jesus is talking to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he says, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Praise the Lord. That is great news. He's saying no one. No one, no one has the power to snatch a follower of Christ out of his father's hands. No one. And then the argument of this is, well, no, but maybe I can leave. Who's tempting you and causing you to leave? It's the devil. He qualifies as no one. Jesus says, you are secure. You will never be snatched out of my hand. Friends, there are people, probably some in this room and joining us online, who struggle with this. My prayer for you, understand this truth, that you are secure by the power, the authority, and the ownership of God in your life, never to be snatched away. Three points this morning we see in Ephesians chapter 1. First off, God builds his family. Two, God is glorified through his family. And three, God guarantees each family member their place in his family. All in the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. We didn't even get to the second half today. I look forward to seeing what God's going to teach us as we go through the rest of this book together in the coming weeks. I'm going to ask that you pray with me, please. God, we love you and praise you and just want today acknowledge your goodness in our life. Thank you, the God, that you have called us into your family. Thank you that you called us out of our 
darkness and our lostness and opened our eyes through the light of Jesus Christ to be a family member of God. God, we thank you for the role that you have given us to give you glory, our ultimate purpose in our life, to give you glory. What, what a wonderful purpose to live for, better than anything else. Thank you for that purpose. And God, we thank you for the, the eternal, secure salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, knowing that you have stamped us and sealed us with your Holy Spirit in our life and that we are secure with you. May we enjoy that truth and let it permeate our thoughts and our mind and our spirit today and this week. Father, we love you and we praise you and thank you for your incredible goodness to us. May our lives reflect these truths this week as we leave here. May we celebrate the word of God and the truths we find here. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.